Hi everyone, thank you for tuning in to the first Unboxing History podcast. My name is Billy Hole, and over the last two years, I have been unboxing history on all things horrific, true crime, and interesting. And this case honestly is a combination of all three. Without further ado, let's get into it. On Sunday, May 19th, 1996, 24-year-old Julian Williams and 26-year-old Lori Winnins walk into the woods with their golden retriever named Taj to embark on a backpacking trip in Shenandoah National Park. The two were backpacking to celebrate a new job that Julie was to start on June 1st, although this would morbidly be the same day that park rangers discovered the two women's partially nude bodies that were bound, gagged, and both had their throats slit. Although before this grisly discovery, the couple's golden retriever, Taj, was found unleashed wandering near the campsite. In essence, finding the dog is what helped park rangers locate the bodies of the women. Both Julian and Laura were last seen alive on Thursday, May 24th. This was before the two set up camp near a popular horse bridle trail that was alongside a mountain stream, which acted as an idyllic backdrop. And their campsite itself was only half a mile away from Skyland Lodge, which was a popular spot that had a bar, restaurant, and cabins. Not to mention, it was also the weekend after Memorial Day, so the park was buzzing with locals and tourists. Given the close proximity to such a popular lodge, it's odd to think that a brutal crime like this could occur and not be seen or heard by anyone. Although it is worth noting that while their campsite was close, it was also not visible from the trail path itself. Since backcountry regulations required campers to be physically out of sight of designated trails, also the sound of the flowing stream which acted as a beautiful backdrop could have also drowned out any noise. That being said, the stream could have also muffled the sound of the killer's footsteps as they approached the campsite. But before we continue to dig into the details, it's first important to understand the differences and hurdles that come with investigating a homicide in the backcountry and how it can ultimately affect an investigation. For starters, one of the first things that law enforcement does when arriving on site to a crime scene is to secure it. And when you're outdoors, one does not know where the crime scene officially ends and where it begins unlike a homicide that can occur within a building or a home. Also, there are additional factors like wind, precipitation, and wildlife that can move the evidence. Second, when a crime occurs on public land, there are many more people who are constantly passing through the crime scene. I read that during the year of Julie and Laura's murder, over 1.57 million people had visited the state park. So it's also hard to track and vet through all the people who are constantly coming and going. And third, when crimes occur on national parks, they are first investigated by the National Park Investigative Services Branch. This team ultimately works in conjunction with the FBI and local law enforcement. Specifically for this case, Virginia State Police Crime Scene Unit had to come on scene since the park's investigative team did not have the proper equipment to actually process the crime scene, which I mean is telling. So for this case specifically, there was three different levels of law enforcement that had to interact, and that of course comes with its own set of egos from what I read. When the crime scene itself was searched, the key evidence recovered were small hairs that did not belong to the women or their pet dog Taj. Also found was a digital camera that belonged to the women, and this is what helped investigators retrace the women's final days leading up to their violent murder. When researching for this case, I looked at the photos that the detectives recovered from the digital camera, and honestly, it was very eerie to see, since the women were clearly having a wonderful time, happily hiking with their dog, and they have no idea with what's to come. And only hours after authorities are processing the crime scene, news starts to spread like wildfire in the media. 
because here you have two women who were brutally killed in a national park, which up until this point was considered extremely safe. And then on top of this, another layer is these two women were in a relationship. So instantly the media begins to portray the narrative that this murder was a brutal hate crime, which of course is a possibility, but really we don't know. Although we do know how dangerous it is when the media starts to paint a narrative without having all the necessary evidence. Not to mention, these women were not open about their sexuality, so they were publicly outed to their family and friends after their death. Regardless of the media circus, 14 months go by and the case goes cold, when on July 9th, 1997, a man named Daryl Rice begins to verbally and physically assault a woman who's riding her bike in Shenandoah National Park, which is the same park that the murders took place 14 months prior. So in a nutshell, while this woman is attempting to ride her bike in the park, Daryl pulls up alongside her in his truck and begins to angrily scream things at her like, and I quote, show me your titties. And yes, this was a direct quote that was taken from the official court documents. And after screaming at her, he then begins to lean out of his car and attempts to pull her into his truck and force her into it. So aside from verbally and physically assaulting, he's now trying to abduct this woman. When his attempted abduction fails, he then attempts to kill the woman by then running her over with his truck multiple times. But thankfully, the cyclist was able to flee and call the authorities. And park rangers quickly were able to identify Daryl based on the description of the man that she described as well as the car he was driving. Once arrested, investigators recover hand and leg restraints from inside of his truck. So Daryl ultimately pleads guilty to the charge of attempted abduction and is sentenced to 136 months in prison. Given the circumstances, circumstances, police now consider Daryl to be a prime suspect in the murder investigation of Julianne and Laura, and this is when they begin to make a case against him. Years later, on April 1st, 2002, suspect Daryl David Rice was formally indicted for the murders of Julianne and Laura, charging the defendant, and I quote, in a four-count indictment for intentionally selecting and murdering the two young women because of his open hatred of women and homosexuals. In addition to this, Daryl also openly stated that he intentionally targeted women to intimidate and assault because they are more vulnerable than men. Then, if that wasn't enough, Daryl also openly shares that he, quotes hates gays and that Julianne and Laura also, quote, deserve to die because they were lesbian whores. That was a direct statement from him. So clearly, this guy sounds like garbage. When you take a step back and you look at the facts, you see, okay, he tried to abduct one young woman from the same park that the murders took place. And then on top of this, he's making these openly hateful derogatory remarks about women in general, but then also especially gay women. So when you're looking at the facts, it does seem like this guy would be a prime suspect for the murders. But in a twist, all charges were eventually dropped against him when new DNA results revealed that Daryl was not a match to those hairs that were recovered at the crime scene years earlier. Although the FBI still did believe that Daryl was involved in some kind of way, even though no new evidence has come through to further prove his involvement. Regardless, since the evidence exonerated him as a prime suspect, the capital murder charges against him were dropped in February of 2004. Since then, investigative journalist Catherine Miles has openly shared her critical opinion against the detective work of the FBI in a book that she published called Trailed One Woman's Quest to Solve the Shenandoah Murders. In a nutshell, Catherine expresses that authorities have continued to unjustly implicate Daryl in the double murder despite the DNA evidence exonerating him. Within the book, Catherine also suggests that the real serial killer responsible for the cold case has been hiding in plain sight. 
And that confirmation bias has affected this case, meaning that once we decide that something is fact or true, we then begin to filter all information and evidence with this form of belief system, which honestly is an interesting point. Catherine also shared insight that she spoke with FBI agents who worked on another murder case at another national park. It turned out that these crimes were done by serial killer Carrie Stainer. And she went on the record stating that the agents told her that they had been so fixed on one suspect that they initially only had one quick interview with the actual killer Carrie, even though he had given authorities reason to consider him as a suspect. But because of their confirmation bias, they did not pursue Carrie further, and he then went on to kill additional women because of it. Therefore, Catherine feels something similar occurred in this case, since when the double murder went cold, authorities were under extreme pressure to solve the case for two reasons. One, out of closure for the victims' families, and two, most of the general public was still terrified to go out hiking in the national parks. So once Daryl attacked and assaulted a woman in the same park, authorities continued to stay fixated on Daryl even after the DNA evidence officially exonerated him. Catherine does agree that initially it was reasonable to consider Daryl a suspect, but once a second suspect was identified and that person's DNA profile could not be excluded, attention should have been shifted away from Daryl. Since in 2003, the FBI's Richmond office tested the DNA collected from the crime scene. This was the testing that ultimately exonerated Daryl, but at the same time, the DNA matched to a serial killer named Richard Ivonitz. In an interview with A&E, Catherine stated that a mitochondrial DNA test came back that the hairs were clearly not Daryl's, but it came back matching the DNA profile of Richard. And that the FBI lab said that not only can Richard not be excluded, but he should be retested to see if he should be included in the investigation. According to Catherine, the FBI agents are the ones who ultimately make the decision to follow the lab's recommendations, and instead of following their advice, the agents still continued to focus on additional testing against Daryl. For the record, the serial killer Richard was linked to the murders of three teen girls in Virginia before he took his own life in 2002. Regardless of this possible lead, the double murder of Julianne and Laura has remained unsolved to this day, and it is heartbreaking that no one was ever brought to justice and that their families still have not received any kind of closure. After reading all of the facts, I do have to agree with the investigative journalist Catherine that confirmation bias certainly does appear to have impacted this case. And honestly, it's terrifying to think of how many other cases has this occurred. Sadly, at this rate, it doesn't seem like their case will ever be solved. But again, I would like to thank you so much for tuning in to our first Unboxing History episode. I am very excited to continue this series and keep rolling out these true crime and unsolved mystery stories. And if you did enjoy this episode, I encourage you to please share a review and share this with anybody who you think might enjoy it. Also, if you're a fan of these true crime stories, but you also like to see supporting imagery, I have videos up on my YouTube channel, which is just Billy Holt, and you will find all of those. But wait, there's more. It's like I'm in an infomercial. If you want some digestible short stories with imagery, I also have those up on Instagram and TikTok. Same name, Billy Holt. I'll be back next week on here to unbox history on another case, but in the meantime, I hope you are having a lovely week.